Well, this morning we have a special guest with us. As Craig is away, we have Mike Killebrew from the south side of Indianapolis. He served as the middle school pastor for 15 years with the congregation. And uh, he recently transitioned over as a volunteer, and he currently works in the family business. Um, but he volunteers in many different ways at the creek. His wife, Kelly, and they have four children. And the joke part of this is for me, as a graduate of Lincoln Christian College, not to sound like Jan and Marsha, Marsha, Marsha at uh, the Brady Bunch, but it is so good to have a fellow graduate from Lincoln Christian College here this morning. Hey, there you go. Yes, that was my wife. But we're so glad to have you, Mike. If you'd please welcome him and uh, encourage him this morning. Thank you. Good morning. It is uh, it's so good uh, to be here. Uh, I have to start with a, a, a little story. Uh, my family got here early this morning. We're sitting out in the parking lot, and uh, my wife was doing the, the girl's hair and so forth and so on. We're, we're hanging out, and uh, the kids wanted to pray for me because they were very nervous on my behalf for being in front of a crowd this morning. And my... Uh, my third child, who's seven years old, her name's Nora, she prayed a hilarious prayer. And I wrote it down because I, I don't want to forget this. She said, dear God, I hope, 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 that's usually how she starts her prayers. Dad, oh, my writing's terrible. Hope, Dad doesn't freak out like a total maniac. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> I'm, uh, I am. I'm so excited uh, to be with you all this morning. When Craig extended the invitation uh, to be a part of this, he shared with me that uh, you guys have just started a series called Welcoming with the tagline, Rolling Out the Red Carpet. And as soon as he shared that, I was, I was intrigued and I was drawn in. And uh, as, as he went on to further explain, he said that uh, this is one of your core values here at the church, to be a welcoming community. And uh, what a great thing for a church uh, to be uh, as a core value. What a great thing for a church uh, to be studying. And uh, I, I listened in. I downloaded his message from last week and uh, pulled that off the website, listened to his message. And uh, I, I have to tell you, too, I, I may tune in in future weeks because I'm, I'm so excited to hear uh, what you guys are going to continue to do in this series on welcoming. Again, what a great thing for you all to be studying. And I will say, too, after listening to that message, I think you guys are blessed. You are blessed to have a, a, a pastor uh, with the gift of preaching and teaching God's Word, like I heard out of that message uh, from last week. Craig asked me to speak on the idea of rolling out the red carpet to our opposition, okay? Um, rolling out the red carpet of welcome to those who may oppose us because we're believers in Jesus Christ. And uh, as soon as Craig said uh, this, this phrase, welcoming uh, the opposition, my mind immediately went to uh, an opening story. Uh, or an opening story idea. It's like, I, I have to start this off with some sort of sports story because sports and opposition, they just kind of go together. The problem, though, is that I'm really not much of a sports fan. In fact, I am the guy who, on Sunday afternoon when the game is on and everybody's excited about it, 
I fall asleep in my recliner. <laughs> I, I wish I was more of a sports fan uh, because I think I could participate in a whole lot more conversations that happen around me, uh, but I'm, I'm just not. However, my wife is. My wife is a, a diehard Chicago sports fan. Oh my, there's some Chicago fans in here. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So she is a, uh, she's a diehard uh, Bears fan, in fact. When we were dating, she invited me to go to a Bears game. And I, I went because I, I wanted to hang out with my, my future wife at this point. And uh, we went to this game, and I learned, uh, I learned about Bears fans. Um, and I, I got to throw a disclaimer out here. Everything that I say about Bears fans, there are exceptions, okay? My wife being one of them. Uh, but what I learned about Bears fans is that uh, they, well, they play for keeps. Bears fans, they take it seriously. In fact, uh, if we could put the image up on the screen here, this is, uh, this is who I sat next to. Like, I'm in the section and like everybody looks like this. In fact, I pulled this picture up and showed it to my wife a couple days ago said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to show this. She said, oh, yeah, my brother has that hat. <laughs> so sitting there with all these uh, diehard Bears fans, and there were on more than one occasion some uh, opposing uh, team fans who walked in front of the section. And these Bear fans attacked them. I mean, verbally abused them. I mean, they were shouting things that uh, I just couldn't believe. And uh, on, on one occasion, one of the fans kind of pushed back a little bit, shouted back at the crowd, and next thing you know, they're like throwing their garbage at this guy. And uh, thankfully, I, I mentioned I'm not a sports fan, so I did not, uh, I didn't have a Bears jersey. I wasn't wearing Bears colors. Thankfully, for our safety, my safety, my wife was. She had on her Bears jersey, and I got to sit in the protection of her flying the Bears colors, and I didn't have garbage thrown on me and so forth and so on. But... Um, I did have to leave the safety zone of her jersey at one point. I went to the men's room, which is a very, you know, confined space with one entrance, one exit, and I was surrounded by Bears fans, and I'm not wearing any colors. And they asked me, somebody said, hey, who are you here for? And I got to tell you, I very quickly became much more of a Bears fan <laughs> than I realized Go Bears, <laughs> was my response. Now, it's not very often that uh, we fear for our physical safety uh, when it comes to uh, being a Christian, when it comes to living out our life in a way that brings honor to Jesus. Not very often that we fear for our safety. Thankfully, uh, we don't live in a culture where that is uh, a particular issue. Unfortunately, there are many places throughout the world and uh, many times in history as well where uh, that is an issue, uh, where persecution has taken place. But what we deal with in our culture, a better word is this word opposition. Uh, we deal with opposition from time to time. And uh, this opposition can, uh, it can come in many uh, shapes and sizes, many different varieties. Uh, we, we deal with, uh, with opposition that uh, can be very complicated, in fact. Uh, opposition can come from those who are closest to you. It can even happen at your own house. I mean, maybe you've been a part of a family gathering before where someone starts to go down a path that is uh, 
maybe a little bit offensive to you because of what you believe about Jesus to be true. And, uh, and, 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 and from there, uh, it can go a variety of, of ways, a variety of directions. It's a complicated issue. Uh, maybe uh, coworkers while you're at work, uh, maybe uh, something happens and, and, and all of a sudden you feel like you're the opposition and you feel like uh, there's, there's just something that isn't right about the place that you're at, the situation that you're in. Our culture, oh my goodness, our culture, we, we can, as believers in Jesus Christ, we can face some opposition uh, because of that. We can face moments of, uh, of uh, opposition. In fact, I was... Uh, Flipping through Time Magazine, and uh, I, I came across an article that uh, was titled, the title caught my eye, the title said, Regular Christians are no longer welcome in American culture. And it was just a real small article uh, written uh, by a, uh, a woman whose name is uh, Mary Aberstadt, and uh, she's got a, a book uh, that's entitled "It's Dangerous to Believe," and she's written a number of books, apparently, on on this uh, this concept. And uh, yeah, it's dangerous to believe. And uh, not read that book, but I read this short little article, and there are a couple lines in it that really caught my attention uh, in regards to what we're talking about today. Uh, she said, "Traditional American Christians have long been on the end of losing the culture war." And she cites all kinds of different examples, uh, things that we're all very familiar with, things like, you know, school in, uh, excuse me, prayer in the schools, uh, things like uh, same-sex marriage, things that, uh, uh, that, that may come up in our culture that, uh, that, that maybe have, uh, have, have some opposing views of what you and I as believers in Jesus might have. She said, uh, recent events have added to the sense that religious expression is under attack in our culture. Now, I suspect that most of us in this room can easily come up with uh, some personal examples uh, where we have experienced some opposition because of how we believe in Jesus Christ. Um, there's, there's probably um, all kinds of stories that we could share with each other along those lines. Uh, in our culture, too, I think uh, it doesn't take very long to, uh, to watch the news and to, to hear stories of where uh, this opposition uh, may show up, it may surface. Uh, one example that I think of often, it's not so recent, uh, but I, I think of it often because uh, I daily drive past the fast food restaurant Chick-fil-A. Sometimes I, I even uh, I drive into Chick-fil-A. We're, we're, we're big fans of Chick-fil-A at our house. And so, uh, but, but one of the, the reasons that I think of this example a lot that happened a few years ago is because I love the way that Chick-fil-A handled it. Okay? What had happened is uh, in, in a conversation, in, in an interview, somehow in a public forum, the COO of Chick-fil-A's name is uh, Dan uh, Cathy. He, uh, he made some statements about his faith and how that affects the way that they run their business. And people, people flipped out. There was, uh, there was a, lot of, uh, a lot of things that happened. It went on for, for weeks. I'm sure you guys remember it in the, in, in the news media. You've probably heard all kinds of stories about some of the protests that took place out in front of, of these stores. And I love the way that Chick-fil-A handled it. They, in, in many ways, they... Uh, rolled out the red carpet of welcome, even to their protesters. And they, they didn't change anything about uh, where they were at, but 
they, uh, they rolled out the red carpet of welcome and they were willing to, uh, to even go out to the protesters. And maybe, maybe you saw some of these stories, heard some of these stories, but they served some of the protesters beverages and drinks while they're out in front of their store protesting. I, I just, I, I love that example. Um, every time I think about that, I, I just smile. But uh, the question that, uh, that I want us to address and the one that uh, Craig invited me to address, this, this idea of how do we welcome those that may oppose us as believers in Jesus Christ. Now, Craig, in his message last week, he, he, uh, he talked about how, you know, it, it's, it's not just about what happens inside the walls of this building. We want to be very welcoming inside the walls of this building, which, by the way, I have to say, uh, coming here as a visitor, uh, you guys do a fantastic job of greeting people and uh, just walking in. And uh, we, we just had a very pleasant experience coming in. So well done uh, on, on that front. But, uh, but it's not just about what happens here. Since the church is made up of the people, it's really about us as individuals as well. How do we welcome the opposition in our, in our lives, in our environments, where we're at, even outside the walls of this building, outside the walls of this church. And uh, to, to address this question, the answer to it, like the answer to most things, we're going to go to God's Word, and we're going to study a passage of Scripture. And in this passage of Scripture, too, is a very famous, very, very famous, well-known, probably the most well-known verse of, of, of all time, and that is oftentimes one that we see at sporting events on posters, because it's a great summary verse of the Christian faith, and that is John 3.16. Uh, we've all probably seen that written on posters at sporting events or on TV as we're watching sporting events. But uh, the context of that verse is a conversation that Jesus has with a man whose name is Nicodemus. And we're going to explore this conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus, and we're going to see if we can draw some practical things to apply to the opposition that we may encounter in our faith and belief in Jesus Christ. So if you would, go ahead and turn to John chapter 3, and we're going to start out in verse 1. John chapter 3, verse 1, says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you were a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you were doing if God were not with him. Now, we're going to take a time out before we go any further into their conversation. Let's see if we can understand what's happening uh, contextually. Uh, let's uh, take a look at some of the, the passages of Scripture around this. Uh, scholars call this, look at the pericope of the text that we're about to study. Uh, and the pericope is a Greek word that means to cut around. So we're going to cut around the text. We're going to take a look around. And uh, we get our word, uh, that word pericope, sounds very uh, familiar to the word periscope. That's where we get our word periscope. And what does a periscope do? Uh, it's on a submarine. It comes up. It takes a look around. And so that's uh, what we'll do here for a moment. If we look backwards, we see that uh, the, the author of this gospel, John, he, uh, he, he kind of is setting the stage here. Jesus is early on in his ministry. His ministry has just uh, begun in a public way. 
He, uh, he is uh, calling his disciples. He's kind of assembled the team that is going to uh, continue his message after he's gone, John being one of them, the author of this book. And then uh, we see that uh, Jesus does his first public miracle, uh, the changing of the water to wine. Uh, we see that uh, Jesus takes his disciples and they go to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem would have been the epicenter of Jewish culture. Okay, they show up in Jerusalem, and uh, we're going to read a couple verses, actually. Uh, in uh, John chapter 2, uh, we're going to look at verse, starting in verse 14. Uh, we're going to see that in the temple courts, he found men, uh, he, let me back up. He actually, he went to the temple first in Jerusalem. So in the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords, and he drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? So we see a strong response from Jesus towards the religious leaders. And we can begin to kind of feel the tension that there might have been in that relationship between Jesus and those uh, teachers, those, uh, those religious leaders of the time. There's, there's opposition in this conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. Before the conversation even starts, Jesus would have known it and Nicodemus would have known it. Nicodemus would have been there in that moment when Jesus confronted this issue at the temple, just a few verses before we get to the passage of Scripture that we're studying, before this conversation with Nicodemus. If we uh, take the periscope and we look the other direction, uh, there's, there's a, a couple places that uh, John makes reference of this guy Nicodemus. And uh, there's, there's one thing in particular, uh, the very next time that John mentions Nicodemus, and that's uh, found in chapter 7. You don't have to turn there. But one of the things that we learn is that Nicodemus was, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, okay? The Sanhedrin would have been the, uh, the, the Jewish court system. And being a part of the Jerusalem Sanhedrin would have made him like a Supreme Court judge. Uh, that would be kind of like the comparison. He, he would have been a man of impeccable character, impeccable, uh, excuse me, impeccable pedigree, and of the highest uh, credentials. He would have been highly, highly qualified in that role. He wouldn't have been there had he not been qualified. He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was a member of this uh, Sanhedrin. He was highly respected as a teacher of the law a teacher of the Old Testament. He was an expert. He would, have, he would have known the scriptures forwards and backwards. He would have prayed them. He would have believed them. And this is key. He would have believed that it was following the law that would give him life. Following the rules is what would have gotten him into a right relationship with the Lord. And it would have given him eternal life. And so that's where he's coming from. That's what we know about uh, Nicodemus. That's what we know before this conversation even takes place. There was opposition. Uh, there was tension. And uh, the other thing that I, I really think John included this detail because it's significant. I have this underlined in my Bible. In verse 2, he talks about how Nicodemus approaches Jesus at what time of day? At night. 
he approaches him at night. And this is, this is a very significant thing because for whatever reason, Nicodemus did not want to be seen. He, he approached Jesus in a way where it was, it was in the cover of darkness. And John includes that detail because that's an important detail. Because uh, we don't know exactly uh, where Nicodemus is coming from. But for whatever reason, he didn't want to be seen. He was in this highly influential position, and uh, he, he comes to have a conversation uh, to maybe even confront Jesus or to learn more about him. He doesn't know what to think, but he comes underneath the cover of darkness. Now, this, uh, this conversation, it really, there's, there's really two different uh, um, parts to this conversation. The first part is all about a misunderstanding. We're going to read about how uh, Nicodemus had a misunderstanding. It all comes back to the law, him thinking that it was law, the work of following the rules that was going to earn him eternal uh, salvation. That was his misunderstanding. And then the second part of the conversation is about Jesus offering him a gift, offering him uh, much more than what he had. And so uh, we're going to break it down into those two things. Let's uh, continue reading this interaction that uh, Jesus has with Nicodemus. We'll pick it up in verse 3. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, unless a, more, a man is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. And Nicodemus is still confused. He's still um, not completely understanding. There's, there's a misunderstanding, and uh, they're still dialoguing about it. Again, it comes back to this issue of Nicodemus and many people like him who believed that it was all about following the law, following the rules. So again, verse 9, he asks, how can this be? You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And now the conversation begins to shift. They're talking about the misunderstanding, but then Jesus begins to offer him the truth. And he begins to offer to him uh, not just the truth, but uh, a gift as well. And he shares with him in uh, verse 14. We see uh, in verse 14, uh, Jesus begins to speak of the cross. Here's what it says. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, let's pause for a second, this is a story that uh, Nicodemus would have known very well. And uh, Jesus was, uh, was trying to connect with him in a way that Nicodemus would know well. And uh, that was the, through Old Testament study. And this story, uh, if you're familiar with it, uh, was a fascinating story. Uh, we don't know too much about it. It's a small passage. Uh, but uh, in the Old Testament, uh, the, uh, the Israelite people under Moses' leadership 
they turned against God like they did many times. And uh, God let poisonous snakes infect the camp. And so many people were getting bit by poisonous snakes and dying because of it. Well, they repented and they turned back to God. And through Moses' leadership, Moses uh, had a, a bronze snake put up on a, on, a, on a big staff. And anybody that got bit by one of these snakes, the, the cure, the way that God saved them was to go and look at this bronze snake. And that was, uh, that was how they were saved. And so Nicodemus would have known this story. And it's, it's a story about salvation. And Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And so Jesus is telling him that he is going to have to go to the cross. That's what that means. He's going to be lifted up, and he's going to go to the cross, just as, uh, just as the snake in this uh, Old Testament story that Nicodemus would have been familiar with. And then he goes on to share the most uh, well-known verse, John three sixteen. Jesus said to Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness, darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. So we see this uh, conversation conclude with uh, Nicodemus, and uh, we see, you know, a couple different things here. We see uh, a misunderstanding, and then we see um, Jesus offering uh, a solution, offering uh, the truth, and offering something to Nicodemus. And uh, we, don't, we don't know exactly uh, where Nicodemus was at when he left the conversation, but there's nothing in the text that indicates that he had any kind of major change in belief at this point. And so uh, what we can do, though, as we think about dealing with the opposition, we can look at how Jesus handled this, this moment uh, with his opposition. And there's a couple truths that, uh, that I think are uh, jumping out of us, uh, jumping out of the text here about this. Uh, Jesus, um, the first thing that uh, I think is very significant, we've kind of already touched on it a little bit, but Jesus met Nicodemus where he was at, okay? He met him at night. And uh, he met with him uh, kind of on Nicodemus's terms. And he, he talked to him uh, very scholarly. He talked to him making reference to the, uh, the Old Testament stuff that Nicodemus would have been very familiar with. He, uh, he spoke to him right where he was at. He was willing to engage Nicodemus in a very meaningful way, through a very meaningful conversation, willing to engage with him. And when I think about... Uh, my own life and dealing with some of the opposition that, uh, that I encounter, all too often, I'm ashamed to admit, I'm not even willing to engage. I, sometimes it's just easier to ignore it and to, to just let it happen. And so I think 
when it comes to us rolling out the red carpet to our opposition, the first thing that we have to do is follow the example of Jesus, and we have to be willing to engage. It might be engage in a, in a meaningful conversation like what Jesus did. We have to be willing to start the conversation. All too often, I think, uh, we as, as Christians are guilty of um, not even being willing to show up for the conversation. And uh, Jesus gives us this example with Nicodemus. The second thing that I see in this interaction with Nicodemus is that Jesus challenged Nicodemus. He challenged him uh, to his core. His very core beliefs were this idea of the law, following the law. And, uh, and Jesus challenges that in a major way. See, Jesus was telling Nicodemus, it's not about the works that you do in the law. It's about the work that happens on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so uh, we, we see this, uh, this take place, Jesus challenging Nicodemus. And he does it in such a unique way because he's challenging him with both truth and grace. He's offering him grace. And I think that's a powerful lesson for us as well. When we interact with our opposition as Christians, so often we, we have this desire to be right. And so we're really heavy on the truth side. There's a reason that our culture often says, you know, Christians are judgmental. It's because sometimes we are very judgmental. And sometimes we focus so much on the truth side of things and we forget about the grace side of things. And Jesus, with Nicodemus, he offers him grace. He offers him an understanding of eternal life and, and how that happens because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so uh, I, I, as I read this passage and I look at this interaction, I'm challenged to engage more in meaningful ways. And I'm challenged to do so with truth and an awful lot of grace. Now, if we uh, take that periscope and we continue looking further into the life of Nicodemus, um, I, I love uh, this next chunk of scripture that we're going to look at. It's found in uh, John chapter 19. This is the, the third time that John uh, mentioned Nicodemus in John chapter 19, verse 38, says this, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. And Jesus has already died on the cross at this point. And says, Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. Scholars think that uh, Joseph was also a part of the Sanhedrin, just like Nicodemus was. And he was a secret disciple. With Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body. He was accompanied by who? He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, and taking Jesus' body, the two of them well, they wrapped it and they prepared him uh, for burial. See, Nicodemus did what a disciple would have done. 
Uh, but the disciples, they were too scared. They weren't a part of this. Uh, but Nicodemus, he, his first encounter with Jesus was in the dark. He then experiences the light of Jesus. And here we see quite some time later, after Jesus' ministry, after he goes to the cross, uh, Nicodemus is taking care of the body of Jesus. So it's, it's such a neat thing to think about how uh, Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, it changed things. Because Nicodemus, a part of the Sanhedrin, for him to go and uh, take care of the body of Jesus, it would have been in direct defiance of that, that, that body that he was a part of, the Sanhedrin. It would have been in direct defiance of them. Because they're the ones who sent him to the cross. And here Nicodemus is taking care of his body. When we encounter Jesus, it changes the way we live our life, doesn't it? When we experience Jesus, it, it just changes things for us. It happened with Nicodemus, happens with us. There's a, a book that I read a number of years ago. I'm sure many of you have read it. Very, very popular uh, book. Uh, the title of it is, is Unbroken. Uh, it's written by uh, Laura Hillebrand. Anybody read that book? Just curious. Yeah, it's an awesome, awesome book. If you haven't read it, it's an unbelievable uh, story. It's a, it's, a, it's a biography about a guy whose name is uh, Louis Zamperini. And uh, maybe you've seen the movie. A couple years ago, Hollywood uh, put a movie out that's kind of based on this guy's life story. And it, uh, it, it's a great retelling of the first part of his life. Uh, let me just read the movie synopsis for you. So you, if, you, if you're not familiar with it, I want you to hear what this guy went through. As a boy, Louis Zamperini is always in trouble. But with the help of his older brothers, he turns his life around and he channels his energy into running. Later, qualifying for the 1936 Olympics, the World War when World War II breaks out, Louis enlists in the military. After his plane crashes in the Pacific, he survives an incredible 47 days adrift in a raft until his capture by the Japanese Navy. Sent to a POW camp where he becomes the favorite target of a particularly cruel prison commander. Now, what the movie left out, the movie does a great job of explaining that portion of his life, but what the movie then left out that uh, the real story includes is that when uh, Louis came back after being uh, rescued from the POW camp, when he came back and tried to, to re-enter into life, things just weren't going well for him. He was, uh, he was dealing with all kinds of uh, anger and resentment. He was waking up with all kinds of nightmares. And uh, he, had, uh, he had feelings of uh, you know, wanting to, to revenge, take revenge on his captors, the people who just so mistreated him. And that this book is just an incredible retelling of some of the stuff that he endured, some of the things that he went through. But th this book also talks about how life was without Jesus. And then it talks about how life was after he encountered Jesus. And one of the, the major things that changed for him, one of the, the, the major things that uh, uh, he, he had to address in his life was this, this issue of um, dealing with the opposition. And for him, the opposition uh, were these, these POW prison camp guards. And 
It's a very powerful real-life story of what he did. After he experienced Jesus, he experienced grace and forgiveness in his own life. And then he rolled out the red carpet, and he went to some of those uh, captors. He went back to Japan, and he met with them face-to-face, and he shared with them about how things had changed for him. And he was willing to engage with them in a meaningful way, and he forgave them. Unbelievable, powerful, uh, very uh, wonderful story about grace. Wonderful story about how uh, forgiveness uh, can be such a life-changing thing, both as we receive it and as we give it. And so, as I think about uh, this story, um, and I think about uh, the story of Jesus and his interaction with uh, Nicodemus, I think about the opposition that we face in our life. And I would just in- encourage us again to, as we face that opposition, let's, let's just be willing to engage in meaningful ways, and let's be willing to show both truth and grace as we have those encounters. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for just the gift of life that you've given to each one of us. Uh, God, thank you for uh, this, uh, this church. Thank you for uh, this morning and this opportunity to worship you here. Uh, God, as we, uh, as we just read from your word, uh, this interaction with, uh, with Nicodemus and with, uh, with Jesus, uh, God, uh, we're just grateful that uh, we have the opportunity to uh, take some truths from that. First of all, the truth about uh, your love for us, uh, but also, God, the truth about how to, how to work with the opposition in our life in a way that brings honor to you. Uh, Lord, uh, we thank you, and uh, we do pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Will you please stand with us?